today, how powerful those songs are, how well sung they were. Thank you so very, very much. Some of you may know that homiletics is the science of preaching. It comes from the Greek word homilia, which means communication. And anyone who has ever studied homiletics knows that all effective sermons call for commitment. Uh, The Word of God is not just to be heard. It is not just to be agreed to, but it is to be obeyed. Uh, Jesus said in John 13, 17, uh, If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. And so it should not surprise us as we come to the conclusion of one of Jesus' greatest sermons, the Sermon on the Mount, his longest sermon, that he calls for decision. We cannot be neutral. Uh, We must either trust the Savior and follow him, or we must reject him. Now, the commitment that Jesus calls for comes to us in the form of three tests. And I want to show them to you on the screen here this morning. Uh, Test number one is two ways. And the question that we must ask is, am I on the narrow way? Uh, Question number two, test number two, is two trees. And here the question is, am I following the true teaching? And finally, the third test is two foundations. And here Jesus asks us to question ourselves, am I doing the Father's will? Now, these tests are comprehensive. They tell us everything that we need to know about the reality of our Christianity. Uh, Tests are not pleasant, are they? Uh, They poke us. They prod us. They challenge us. They push us out of our comfort zone. But all of us know that tests are absolutely necessary. Without them, we do not know the reality of where we stand. Now what I want to do this morning is I want to look together with you at test number one. And in subsequent weeks we will look at tests two and three as we close out our Lord's Sermon on the Mount. But if you would take your Bibles, let's turn together this morning once again to Matthew chapter 7. There's a little ring in the room this morning, so let's uh, see if we can bring that ring down a little bit. And I invite you to turn with me to Matthew 7 and listen to what the Lord Jesus says to us. Enter through the narrow gate, verse 13. For wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Now here is this first test, two ways. Am I on the narrow way? And as we look at what Jesus says today, what we discover are the characteristics of those who are on the narrow way. And this morning, I I want to spend a, a few moments with you looking at these characteristics. And the questions for all of us is, do these reflect my life? 
Am I a person who is on this narrow way that Jesus is describing? Now, first of all, we discover that Jesus tells us that we choose the narrow way. As we look here at verses 13 and 14, the very first thing we notice is that there are only two ways. There are not three or four ways. There are only two choices in life. What Jesus is saying is there is no middle ground. We cannot be neutral. When he says in verse 13, I'm now coming to the conclusion of my sermon. I want to call you to commitment. Enter the narrow gate. It is a firm command that he gives to us. We cannot bypass this choice. We must decide. Now, it's interesting, in our, in our modern world today, uh, there are many ways that you can enter a city. In Marquette, for example, there are many ways we can get here. We could fly here. Uh, we could boat in. Uh, there are many roads that uh, we could drive in on. If we're really ambitious, we could hike in to Marquette. There are all kinds of ways that we could get into this city. But in the ancient world, cities were often surrounded by walls, and there was often only one gate to enter into that city. You either came in by the one gate, or you were shut out. Now Jesus made it very, very clear that He is that gate. In John 10, verse 9, uh, Jesus said, I am the gate by me. If anyone enters in, he or she shall be saved. We've got to think about it in this way. If Jesus is God, and He died and rose for us, then there is no other way. Is that not true? He must be the only way. And so as we look at this, we recognize that there is a choice that has to be made between these two ways. I want you to notice also that Jesus makes it very clear here that the narrow way must be found. You see, it is very easy to miss. In fact, Jesus one time described the narrow way as so narrow, he said it is like the eye of a needle. That's how easy it is. As you look at verse 4, you will notice that he explains this call by saying, For wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction. Uh, the little word for there is a conjunction that, that has a causal idea. The implication that Jesus is giving us is that there is effort that has to be made to get into this narrow gate because there is another road and another gate that is much more easily perceived. See, the idea here is that there are so many people on the broad road and so many few that are on the easy road that it is easy to go by it. If you've ever been on a major highway and you've been driving along looking for a narrow road, you know how easy it is to bypass that narrow road. You see, narrow roads have to be searched for. It's very interesting in, in Luke 13 and verse 24, and I won't ask you to turn there, 
Um, Jesus uh, uses the same figure that he uses here, except there he says that we are to make every effort to enter the narrow way. And the Greek word that he uses there is a word uh, that, that is pronounced uh, agonizo. We get our word agonize from it. So that Jesus actually says, strive, labor, to enter this narrow way. See, nobody uh, wanders onto a narrow way. You don't get there by accident. There must be an intentional search for this way. Can I say to you today that as a pastor... The person that I am the most concerned about is not the one who is hostile to Christianity. Rather, the person that I'm most concerned about is the person who is casual about Christianity. Give me the hostile person any day because at least they know a choice has to be made. But the casual person thinks that they can be neutral about this narrow way. And so they have no eagerness to learn. They have no desire to know the truth. There is no passion in their life to really know Jesus Christ. But listen to what the Lord Jesus said in John eight thirty one and 32. He said, If you hold to my teaching... Then you are my disciples indeed. And you will know the truth, he said, and the truth will set you free. You see, the one that is on the narrow road searches for Jesus' teaching. And once they have found that teaching, they hold on to that teaching. For in that teaching, they have found the way to life. You see, the narrow road is a road That has to be searched for. I want you to notice also that this narrow road is a restrictive road. Jesus uses two words in verse 13 for the broad road. One is a word that means it is very wide. And the other word broad means that it is spacious or it has the idea of roomy. So the broad road here is very inviting There is plenty of room for the crowd and plenty of room for their baggage. On the broad road, what Jesus is saying is there's all kinds of room for diversity of opinions. Uh, There's much room for choice of morals. There is a variety of religious options on the broad road. Uh, Not long ago, uh, just a few months ago as a matter of fact, over at the PEEF, I met a man who asked me what I do for a living. When I told him that I was a pastor, he said that he does not like Christianity because of our bigotry. And so I asked him to explain what he meant by that. And he said Christians are prejudiced against other religions. He said, I believe that God and Christ are in every religion. He said, God and Christ are in Buddhism. They are in Islam, and they are in Hinduism. Now, that is broad road thinking. 
You see, it is very convenient to think that way because you don't have to make a choice. You can remain uncommitted. You see, if there are many choices, then the way is broad. It's inclusive. It is not narrow and restrictive. And essentially, you can choose your own path, whatever that may be, how convenient that is. I remember one day being in a restaurant with a friend of mine, and and my friend struck up a conversation with the waitress. She said that she had her own religious beliefs. And she shared them with us very freely. She said she believed in reincarnation. She said she believed in heaven, but she did not believe in hell. Does that surprise you? She said to us, hell is here on earth. Now that's broad road thinking. That is very, very convenient. You see, you don't have to be concerned about correct doctrine when you are on the broad road. You don't have to be like the Bereans in Acts 17.11, of whom the Bible says they searched the Scriptures diligently to see whether the things that Paul was saying were true. When you're on the broad road, there's, there's no searching like that. Because everyone's opinion is as good as another, and you don't have to be bothered with correct doctrine. I want you to notice also that this narrow road is restrictive in another way. There's only one way to enter it, and that is by repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Perhaps you may remember when we began the Sermon on the Mount, we said that the first two Beatitudes describe the beginning of the Christian life and the attitude that we must have if we are to be saved. Uh, One Bible teacher, a a Baptist pastor of many years ago, Alexander McLaren, said that these two Beatitudes are like the side posts of the narrow gate. Now look at this gate before you. Every gate uh, has two side posts. And said Alexander McLaren, the the two side posts in the narrow way that Jesus is describing are the very first two Beatitudes. Let's turn back there for just a moment and refresh our memories. Look at the first two Beatitudes that describe the attitudes we must have if we are to be saved. Look at verses 3 and 4. This is the very beginning of the Christian life. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Now remember that the word poor here is the word for beggar. It is somebody who is absolutely destitute, has absolutely nothing, is reduced to begging. What Jesus is saying is before God, we are spiritual beggars. We have nothing to make ourselves acceptable to him. We are spiritually bankrupt with no good of our own to offer God. That's the attitude we must have if we are to come to faith and repentance. And then notice the second one, we are to mourn. That's a reference to sorrow over sin. Not only do we have no goodness to offer God, but quite honestly, we've been bad. We've been very bad. And when this hits us by the convicting power of the Holy Spirit, we are sorry 
And we want the forgiveness that Jesus has purchased for us on the cross. Now, you know what, as you look at this? No one naturally likes to be poor in spirit, nor do we want to truly mourn for our sins. That's a very humbling place to be. And yet, remember what Jesus said in Luke 14, 11? He said, whoever exalts themselves will be humbled, but the one who humbles that person's self, they will be exalted. You see, the narrow way is a very restrictive way because only the humbled can come to the Lord Jesus. Let me suggest another way that the narrow way is restrictive today. It requires a life of submission to Jesus' authority. Now, for people that are on the broad road, that is very, very restricting. But for everyone who is on the narrow road, coming under the authority of Jesus is so wonderfully liberating. One of my favorite descriptions in all of the Bible for the Word of God is found in James 1, verse 25. James describes the Bible as the perfect law of liberty. And uh, what a beautiful description that is for the Bible. It is... The law, we are to obey it. But it is the law that gives us liberty. That is, when we learn it, when we understand it, it sets us free to live life as God intended us. And we find, as we follow this law of liberty, that it's not a bondage at all, but instead we are liberated to live life as God intended it. Now, those on the broad road... They see this as being complete bondage. Who would ever want to come under this? But those that are on the narrow road, it is the perfect law of liberty. Now I want you to look again at these gates here in front of us. And I want you to notice something very carefully that Jesus is very clear to point out. A gate always leads to a road. And if you look at verse 14 here in Matthew chapter 7, you will notice that Jesus puts them very clearly in the proper order. He says, small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life. Do you see that? The gate comes before the road. Now, that is very, very key for us to understand what Jesus is telling us. Jesus told us the gate refers to salvation. We quoted that in John 10 and verse 9. Jesus said, I am the gate. By me, if anyone enters in, he shall be saved. But the Greek word for road here is the word way, and that refers to discipleship. Remember in the book of Acts, the early Christians were called followers of the way. Paul, as he gave his testimony in Acts 24, said, I am a follower of the way. Remember in Psalm 139, verse 24, David said, Lord, lead me in the way everlasting. So now notice here what the Savior is saying. 
we enter into the gate at salvation, and then we commit ourselves to following Jesus Christ as disciples in the way. Can I say to you, one of my great concerns as a pastor is for young people who have grown up in a church, perhaps a church like ours, but now in their adult life, they are no longer committed to following in the way of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what they want to do is they want to rest on a past experience of entering into the gate. But that experience has not led them now in their adult life to following in the way. And I believe Jesus makes it very clear here that he does not allow that. You see, once we go through the gate, then we enter on the narrow way. Jesus had these words to say in Luke 14, 27. He said, whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. You see, there is no salvation without ensuing discipleship. The Bible never separates justification from sanctification. Justification will always lead to a sanctified life. There is no receiving Jesus as Savior without following Him as Lord. Jesus is saying very, very clearly, there are two ways, they are exclusive ways, and we must make a choice. Now, here's the second thing about this narrow way. When we make this choice, secondly, we will find that we join a persecuted minority. We will find that we join a persecuted minority. In our English Bibles, uh, the word narrow and the word narrow in verse 14 look like they come from the same word. But actually in verse 14, the word for narrow, small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it, comes from a different Greek word. It comes from the word thilbo, and thilbo in our Bibles almost always means to suffer tribulation. One of the things that Jesus told us right from the very get-go is that if we follow him and live like the Beatitudes, we will experience opposition and persecution. Turn back with me again and notice what Jesus says in Matthew 5, verses 10 through 12. And notice how this is the way he concludes the Beatitudes. This is intentional. After sharing with us the ideal life of a Christian in the Beatitudes, he says, now, if you live this way, here's what you're going to get. Look at verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad. Because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Jesus is saying, everyone who joins the narrow way is going to be a part 
of a persecuted minority. Do you know one of the reasons why the broad road is so hard to leave? Is because it's so popular. Look at this image of the broad road. We have so many friends on the broad road that we feel right at home. It's comfortable. We're accepted. We don't have to be different. But as soon as we move over to the narrow road, we stick out. We will often be ridiculed. And many, many times we will be opposed. When I was in high school, I was not a part of the in crowd. One of the reasons I was not was because I was a very average person. Uh, I was average in sports. I was never good enough to be on the first string. I was average in my grades. I didn't make it into the National Honor Society until my senior year and then just by the skin of my teeth. I was very average playing the trumpet. Uh, Nobody would have thought that I should be first chair. And so one of the reasons I was not a part of the in crowd was I was a very average person. Do you know another reason I was not a part of the in crowd? In my teenage years, I became a Christian. And when I became a Christian, I developed Christian convictions, and I found that those Christian convictions caused me not to be able to be on the part of the in crowd. I remember one Monday morning that uh, some of my friends in, in class were talking about a drinking party that had occurred over the weekend. And Bill, who sat behind me all the way through high school, made fun of me because he knew I would not be at that particular kind of a party. And then I remember at my first class reunion, one of my classmates, five years after I graduated from high school, ridiculed my faith. Here I arrived to meet with my classmates. Uh, Some of them kept me at a distance. One of them said to me, Are you still involved in that Bible expletive? And then at my 15th reunion, I was not even invited. The rumor was that party poopers like me were not sent invitations. And all of that was just the beginning of the persecution that I would face. And in very clear ways, not as great as many, that kind of opposition and persecution has been a part of my life ever since. Let me ask you this morning, was being on the narrow road worth that kind of exclusion? I say to you this morning, absolutely. Do you know one of the people that was at that drinking party that my friends were all laughing about was Betsy? Betsy later became an alcoholic. Her brother to this day is a pastor down in Ann Arbor. And one day I met her brother many years after we had graduated. And he said to me, Brian, Betsy went through a horrible time. The last time I saw Betsy, she seemed so lonely. So very lonely. The classmate who headed the reunion that I was not invited to, just a few years ago, I wondered what happened to him. I looked up his name on the internet. I found his obituary. He is now dead. The last time I saw him, he didn't know me. He didn't recognize me. 
I said, Joe, you don't know me. I said, we went through high school together, 12 years together. You don't know me. He pointed at his head. He said, my brain has been addled because of all the drinking that I've done. And now Joe is dead. Let me ask you, is it worth it to be a part of a persecuted minority? Yes. Yes, it is. And when we follow the narrow way, that's the group that we join. Now let me show you the third and and the very final characteristic of those on the narrow way. We are assured of eternal life, not eternal destruction. Notice what Jesus said. He said, the broad road that is spacious and roomy, that you don't have to make much of a choice over, that road leads to destruction. But he said, the small road, the one that leads to life, that road, that narrow road, is the one that leads to life. Now here's what our Savior is saying. Our present choices have eternal consequences. And therefore, what Jesus is telling us is we must choose wisely. I have a parallel image that I found this morning, this week, that makes the consequences of these two choices very real and very stark. Let me put this parallel image on the screen this morning so that we can see the starkness and the realness of the consequences that Jesus is describing. Look at that parallel image. Notice the image of hell. It is the image of fire. Jesus used fire as an image of eternal destruction. If you look down at verse 19, notice what he said. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. The word destruction here is a very vivid word. It refers to waste, ruin. It's talking about eternal misery in hell. It is saying that all that is good will be destroyed in hell. One of the great deceptions that Satan gives to people today is to assume that once we are dead, that's it. We're all done. There is no more. But the Bible says that is not true. For those who are on the broad way, it is the way of eternal destruction. It is interesting, earlier in chapter 5, when Jesus talks about hell, the Greek word there is Gehenna. Let me read for you from Strong's lexicon what Gehenna was. This was originally the valley of Hinnom, south of Jerusalem, where the filth and dead animals of the city were cast out and burned, a fit symbol of the wicked and their future destruction. Gehenna was the city dump of Jerusalem, and it was always burning. Therefore, it is a fit symbol of eternal hell. Somebody has said, in light of this description of Gehenna, that hell is where God throws the garbage of wasted and ruined lives. What a stark, stark, serious reality that is from the lips of Jesus. But notice the other side. Jesus himself, with outstretched arms, welcoming those on the narrow road home. Now when he says here that the narrow road leads to life, 
the Bible describes two types of life. Eternal life is a new quality of life that begins the moment we enter the gate. These people that are on the narrow way, walking towards heaven, they have already entered the gate, they're on the way, and they are experiencing life. What is that life? Well, Galatians 5 said, it is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. It is a life of peace, joy, love, patience, goodness, and self-control. All the things that make life rich, full, and meaningful. But then eternal life in the Bible also refers to an unending life. 1 Thessalonians 4.17 says, Those that are on the narrow road, we shall ever be with the Lord. I don't think you find a greater picture than Jesus' words in John 14. When he says to those on the narrow road, Let not your heart be troubled. You trust in God, trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will receive you unto myself that where I am, there you may be also. It is the unending life that is a part of the eternal life for everyone on the narrow road. Many years ago, I ministered to a lady in our church who was afraid to die. I went to pray with her when she was facing surgery, and she said to me, Pastor, I I hope that I will go to heaven. And I prayed with her, and since she did not have assurance of salvation, Many years later, she was watching a program on television. The gospel was clearly presented. And in the own quietness of her own living room, she gave her heart to the Lord Jesus Christ and trusted Him as Lord and Savior. She became ill again, and I went to visit her in the hospital. And her illness caused her kidneys to stop working, and her eyes uh, became uh, blinded. She could not see. And they wanted to put her on uh, dialysis, but she didn't want to prolong her life. And so when I went to see her, this lady whose name was Mildred said to me, Pastor, is it okay if I refuse kidney dialysis knowing that I am going to die as a result of kidney failure? And I said, Mildred, I want to be very clear. It would be wrong for you to do something to take your life. But for you to say, I don't want to prolong my misery, I'm ready to go, and therefore I refuse dialysis, that is your choice. And she said to me, that's the choice I'm going to make. I prayed with her. The last words she ever said to me were these words. Pastor, I can't wait to see Jesus. Three days later, her kidneys failed completely. She died, and the welcoming hand of Jesus welcomed her home. And what a beautiful memory that was. And what a glorious thing for every Christian. I can't wait to see Jesus. Is it worth it to be on the narrow road? Oh, how true it is. Let's bow together for a moment in prayer this morning.
In just a moment, we're going to sing. Our thoughts will be taken elsewhere. And how easy it is for us to move out into the broad responsibilities of life. But I want you to ask yourself this morning, how do I measure up on this first test? Am I really on the narrow road? One of the greatest tragedies in hell are going to be people who were in church much of their life who will discover that they were truly not on the narrow road. And they will wake up in eternal destruction wondering what happened. And this morning, as I prepared this message, and all week long as I've thought about it, I have thought about you as I've thought about me. And here today is an opportunity for us to make the choice, the most significant choice that anyone could ever make. Maybe you're here today and you are resting on a past experience of entering the gate, but has not really led to a lifelong experience of following on the way. I say to you this morning, Jesus will not allow that. If we receive Him as Savior, we also receive Him as Lord. If we go through the gate, He calls us to continue following Him on the way. And today as we are before Him, as each life has the opportunity to examine where we are at, may we make sure that we are on the narrow way with Jesus. Listen, if you're not sure, you can be sure today. You can say something to the effect of, Lord Jesus, I, I know that I'm a sinner. I confess today that I'm a spiritual beggar. I feel conviction over my sins. I, I mourn over the fact that I have failed you. But Lord Jesus, I believe that you died for me and rose for me. And I'm going to repent. I'm going to turn from my own way, Lord Jesus, and I'm going to turn to you. Come into my life and be my Savior. Come into my heart and be my Lord. Forgive me of my sins. Give me the gift of eternal life. Make me a child of God. Today, Lord Jesus, knowing that you will now help me, I will follow you on the narrow way. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for saving me. Oh God, today, work in hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit and draw us to Christ. For his sake we pray.